All right, and we, we are now here with uh, Jackie Franciulli from Wahoo's uh, 24-7. Uh, Jackie, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Zach. Yeah, it's, of course. Uh, it's nice to talk some football. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that, that we could, you know, sit down with Jackie and get her thoughts on, on the new program. And obviously with her being in person uh, in Charlottesville for camp, I wanted to make sure we got that perspective as well and, and got her words of wisdom. Um, and so, Jackie, I know you came on uh, right sort of at the beginning of fall camp last year with Bronco. Have you noticed any sort of major shifts um, in energy, just in, in sort of general camp protocol with with Elliot coming on that that might be sort of indicative for the future or, or sort of just like general changes that that might be notable? Uh, I know it's it's kind of cliche to say that there's a brand new energy around the program. Yeah. I think everyone says that when there's a new head coach, but there is some extra energy, but it's just how their practice is set up. Right. It's set up to do these drills in two hours. You know, mm -hmm. that's one thing that I've noticed is you know, usually when you're a media member and you're waiting for interviews post-practice, you get them in a time and usually it's not around that time that you get those players, but actually right. it's been pretty consistent. You, Tony Elliott wants to get done and need all these things in two hours, which means it's a very fast-paced practice. So there's a lot of energy in that regard, which means these players have been working really hard on their conditioning, which is we've noticed a change between spring and fall camps. So that's been different from when Bronco and Tony Elliott um, has been the fast pace of practice. You're going from drill to drill to drill. These D linemen, you know, I, I joked with, you know, Cam Butler and Jameer Carter and those guys saying like, I was gassed just watching you guys go from one side of the field to the other. Right. And that was very different for them. And also when you look at practices, uh, they've really focused on little, those minutia details, even though it's fast paced practices, you're seeing these guys go through drills. They're sending guys right back up and telling like, move where your shoulder placement is more where your hips are if you're Mike right. Collins your ball security put your ball tighter to your body so that's very different they're really into those fundamental things which you always hear about but yeah. because we've been access to practice we've actually seen how really particular they are right absolutely and that's really interesting I think especially with I mean Tony Elliott coming from Clemson you know is that sort of do you think that's part of what it is is coming from a program like Clemson I assume that's how Dabo has done it there versus Bronco maybe coming from a less I don't I'm not going to you know crap on Bronco but but sort of coming from a program like that do you think there's a, sort of that carryover I think there's a little bit especially when it comes to that fast pace right. of fast uh, practice but I think the guys coming from those service academies yeah coach Downing coach Fred coach Cox right and Coach Gaither, those guys really need to focus on those fundamentals and those minutia skills because their recruiting pool is so much smaller than some of these other programs around the right. country. So you really are about development in those programs, which is why Tony Elliott went kind of the service academy route because right. you have to develop the players. So the fast-paced practice, I would say Tony Elliott and his Clemson background kind of had an influence, but I think those fundamentals is really about Coach Rudd and Coach Downey. And honestly, you watched the defense last year, Zach. It seemed like fundamentals was lacking. So as soon right. as they got here and they were talking about fundamentals and tackling, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Right, absolutely. And I think that that's really refreshing in a lot of ways. I think, um, you know, there, there was a, an opinion out there with Bronco that, you know, he obviously brought this program to a, a stable foundation in the sense of full eligibility, I think five straight seasons and, and he'd done that. And, and, and then maybe Tony Elliott was the guy to sort of, is the guy to sort of take things to that next level. Um, and so it's exciting to hear that. 
Um, now, I, I want to get into some some more specifics uh, about sort of camp position battles and, and, and what you've seen. Um, one thing that, that, that's been notable, I think, in the last week or so has been the running back room. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, that's something with with the emphasis that that Elliot and, and Kitchings and the offense are, are wanting to put on the run and, and getting back to that a little bit. Um, that's going to be a very important group. And one name that sort of popped has been has been Paris Jones, as as you know, uh, Coach Elliott said the other day that that he's leading the room. Have you seen that um, in camp? Has that been evident to you? Actually, you know, I, I was you know when you see them going through drills, you can only see so much. Right. But you did see that consistency of Paris Jones, where it, it seemed like the coaching staff was a lot happier with him going through the drills. They were yes, they were fixing little details but his footwork was always clean. His focus was there. He was just the most consistent running back in that room. Yeah. Mike Collins has lacked that consistency. And that's why you keep seeing these coaches challenging Mike Collins, because honestly, if you look in that running back room, he is the most talented coach Gather even said, he's probably the most talented running back in our room. He's probably the one running back that could be elite if he focused a little bit more and become consistent. And I think, you know, we've seen flashes of that. And right. I think, where the drill that I really got to see how Paris Jones and Mike Collins have kind of developed have been this, this last drill that we were able to have access where we actually saw tackling and having the defenders trying to shed blocks. You saw Mike Collins potential because he's a guy that can kind of lower his shoulder and both those through defenders if he wanted to. And that's mm-hmm. the attribute that he has. Yes. He still needs to put that ball close to his body. And he even joked with me when I was interviewing him, he's like, yeah, I told him, I'm not going to be angry with you. If you keep telling me to put the ball back, I want you to. So right. he knows that's an area that he needs to work on. And the coaches are obliging. They're telling him Paris Jones that I thought, you know, I, when you look at the situation, your mind goes Paris, they're using Paris Jones to challenge my college. Right. Absolutely. But Paris, but Paris Jones at the end of the day, the hype is real. When you look through what he's done in those drills, he's, he's consistent and he just has attention to detail. When he ran through those drills, he was pretty impressive eluding defenders and knowing how to get through his lane. I'm curious about Cody Brown, to be fair. Um, I think that University of Miami transfer, when you look at him, you, you can see why Coach Gaylor said that he needs a little bit more time to adjust. You know, he's been working with the strength stamp just for two months, so he needs to work on his conditioning. But I think out of everybody in that running back room, I think he has the most upside. And then Xavier Brown is one that has the most speed and has the, he's the guy that I look, oh, he can, if he, if he sheds a few blocks, he can go and you can get some paces there. So I think that running back room, I expect my Hollins to kind of edge his way if he gets more consistent. And some guys just do better in live games and practice. You also have to consider that. So I think, I think he's the one that kind of edges close to Paris Jones. But I wouldn't be shocked if Cody Brown, towards the midway through the season, starts getting more reps as he gets more comfortable with the playbook and gets his conditioning up. Right, absolutely. And so that, that was what I, one, one question I had. You, you think that Brown sort of has that opportunity this season rather than just using this year as sort of a catch-up developmental year to sort of get comfortable? It's just a how, how quickly he can adjust to that playbook. Right. And I think just seeing what he is capable of, and just seeing actually his progress over fall camp, each each practice he seems to be getting more comfortable. Um, the poor dude had to do some burpees, and I was I just felt bad for him because I hate doing burpees. I did the oh Spartan race, and I had to remember I had to do burpees every time you miss an obstacle. And I was like, oh, I feel bad for you, but he's getting there, you right. know. And um, I, I I can see if like the run game is not clicking, they're gonna go through that depth chart. Um, and I could see him, but then also you also have to think Ronnie Walker, how healthy he's gonna be back. 
Yeah. Um, that's the X factor too. But if Cody Brown shows that he has more, I could see him factoring in a little bit. It could be more of a running back by committing at the end of the day if right. they don't feel like anyone kind of broke away. Absolutely. And then just one last thing on the running back room with Mike Hollins, you know, talk about consistency. Is there anything like specific? Obviously you said that the ball to the chest, is, are there, is it just like a, a sort of death by a thousand paper cuts with, with just like a number of things that he's inconsistent with, or, or are there more sort of specific issues like, you know, not being able to secure the ball? I mean, obviously he's had a couple fumbles uh, in, in, in his playing career. Are, are there notable things that, that he thinks that, that the coaching staff need, needs him to improve on? I, they've all said the same thing. It's consistency where he doesn't yeah. do the same thing all, all the time. Right. Um, and even at practice when we're working to drills, you can see that, you know, he's off. If you, you know, I am usually filming sights and sounds and I usually go through a drill two, three times and you can see sometimes that he does it correctly. Sometimes, you know, his, right. his, his arm kind of moves a little bit out. Sometimes his footwork is a little off. Um, and it's that attention to detail. And that's what they're, they, that, that's what this staff is working. We kind of go back to fundamentals and we were focusing on the D line stuff and the defense, but that's also what the running backs are learning is attention to detail. And that's something that coach Gaither said was he needs to learn how to be a better running back. You know, all the mm -hmm. focus last year, when you look at Mike Collins, he didn't have uh, um, many, I don't have the stats for him last year, but he didn't have many carries right. per se as a running back. So he was used a lot in the passing game, but as in pass protection. So yeah, those areas of the game have improved. But he hasn't had much development as far as a, as a running back. He still has some some stuff is still raw. So I think that's basically what they're saying is like he needed to improve to be a running back. Right. Um, and Coach Gaylor was pretty honest. He said he wasn't a D1 running back when he showed up in the spring. Interesting. Wow. Well, I mean, that's it's good to hear that they're getting tough on him at least. And I think that that's something that, you know, we, you know, if you're going to expect things out of that room, then that's sort of. The, the approach you have to take in a lot of ways um sometimes tough love is all you need exactly exactly um speaking of tough love uh i want to talk move to the to the offensive line probably the biggest positional question mark um on this roster and, and one thing that i think came out of acc media day and that, and that uh coach 2j and coach elliot have, have both uh sort of reiterated has been that they feel like they have seven guys that are sort of playable at this point um and, and the camp would be about developing eight nine and ten have you have you seen sort of the the, the eight nine and ten i know there's been issues with continuity and, and sort of you know keeping that yeah. that starting five together with illness w what have you seen from the from the offensive line do you think that they're getting closer to to sort of establishing more depth or that even sort of those front seven guys are getting more comfortable? I think they're, they, they're still struggling to get that communication going because they haven't had, uh, I think it was two days ago, they still had in the, the same five kind of playing together because Logan Taylor right. and Jonathan Leach missed a few practices due to illness or they were wearing those non-contact jerseys. Um, but I think they're getting more comfortable. You know, Noah Josie said that, you know, one good thing about having 2J back is he's been able to, I guess, translate the new lingo from the old staff to mm, the new staff because right. they can say something and coach tj can tell them like that play is kind of like this play in our other offense so right. the o-line is able to assimilate to this new offense a little easier because you have that translator as tj would said i think there's a couple of them that have you know we you know tj told me there's two guys that are comfortable well he doesn't like saying they were comfortable but if he had to pick two guys would probably be on the starting lineup and if you consider everything that you've been hearing I would assume Jonathan Leach and Derek Devine, possibly Logan Taylor, are your three guys that are almost guaranteed a starting role. Then you get like Noah Josie is one that I think also is staff feels pretty comfortable in his development. So that's four. And then there's that battle at center. 
where right. you have Ty Furnish and Justice Johnson. And Ty Furnish, I saw some time with the ones um, in the first group when we were at practice. And, and I'm curious to see how they use John Paul Flores because, right. yes, he's battling center, but every time I've seen him in practice, he's worked a little bit in different positions. So it, you can already assume that he's going to be that swing guy in the O-line. So you can assume that he's going to be that 7-8 guy who comes in or the six guy comes in and kind of fills in any gaps there is um, and kind of sees how Ty Furnish and Justin Johnson's on the center where he actually gets that center position. That's the battle that we're looking at is that center position because you didn't kind of see how the other guys line up and what position they go. But then one first year that I've heard some names, uh, some guys mentioned is Noah Demerit. He's, mm. I think he's like 300 pounds. He's a big yeah, dude. You, you right. don't miss him. Um, I think he's a, he's a guy that I think, could factor in um, if he gets comfortable. I know it's usually you don't really see first years kind of, right. kind of get elevated like that. But I really like Noah Demerit and what have we seen. He's obviously still raw, but if they were, you know, if they needed numbers, I wouldn't be shocked if Noah Demerit would be one of the guys that they they approach. Absolutely, and that's interesting to hear about sort of that 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 group of four that that seems relatively comfortable in those jobs. I mean, you know, it's do do you think like do you think this group has potential, like just sort of like in, obviously it's hard to predict, but do you think that this group has potential to not sort of um, limit the offense? Like are, are there, you know, is there sort of that, like, is this just like a cobbling together of guys who are just when, you know, real competition comes down? Um, yeah. Do you have an idea of that? Obviously it's really hard to predict. And that's sort of the question on everybody's mind. Yeah. Right it's, it's unfortunate that we only had eight healthy linemen in the spring to really kind of evaluate how this line and how this line is going to go. And Logan Taylor and Derek Devine weren't there right. on John Paul Forrest as well. But at the same time, when you look at who is on the line, although some of them don't really have much game time experience, they do have experience with college football because they were, they were there with Olu. They were there with, you know, all the guys from last year. So they were able to learn in that O-line room from playing with them and getting reps at practice. And, you know, guys like Noah Josie and Jonathan Leeds were able to benefit with so many reps in the spring because there's just no more bodies there. So they were able to get a lot of spring. So you, you would think that those experiences will certainly help this O-line kind of gel together. And they have a really good first half of that schedule to help this O-line right kind of meld together before that depth trap of the second half. Yeah. Although it's a lot of home games, it's a really tough schedule. So I think that is benefit to UVA where you can kind of use that Richmond game, possibly at Illinois. Illinois is going to struggle a little bit. Uh, so at Illinois, you, you've got, I think, the next game at home is ODU. I think that's the third game. So you have yeah. a couple a couple games to kind of get into game experience with these alignment with competition that you favor UVA in that matchup. But also, you know, I covered teams that have O-line issues. I, mean, I feel like everyone in, the, everyone in college football always talks about the O-line issue unless you have serious veterans on, in the trenches. Yeah. And I remember covering Dan Mullen's first season at University of Florida, and Jim McElwain did not do a very good job of recruiting the O-line prior to Dan Mullen's arrival. And they didn't have much numbers. Um, and they also had a very young line. Uh, I think they started a freshman that year. So what Dan Mullen did, and this was, I think, 2017, uh, they traveled to Mississippi State, and that was the year Mississippi State had probably one of the best defensive lines in college football. Yeah. So now was his first year on the offense. So they, were, they knew the O-line was going to be a weakness. So there's always a way to play around that. So what they did, um, this is when Felipe Franks was still the quarterback, they just 
played around the O-line with short passes to the corner, short passes to the side. Mm. And they were able and they were able to do that quickly. So they kind of evaded where their weakness was, which was going after this D-line and having your O-line and D-line kind of match one-on-one. So they were able to script a game plan at Mississippi State and to beat Mississippi State with an O-line that you could say was inferior at that point because it was one of the first, it was, I think it was third or fourth game of the season too. So it was really early on. So that's why I the O-line right now, as I see it, and I don't think it's going to be as big of a weakness as maybe we played out to be just because of how the schedule lines up and what they can do schematically. Now that's the question. Can, can, do they have enough? Do they think, because you have Brennan Armstrong, he can get the ball out quick. Yeah. You have Dontavian Wicks, you have Jaleel Davis. Those guys can make plays. So theoretically they can make plays. So this O-line can gel a little bit quickly in the first half. Right. So do I mean, with that said, like in these sort of these early games with, with Richmond and ODU, it would probably make sense if we see a little bit more of sort of that those short yardage passes or at least looking for yes. more quick stuff. Obviously, these guys, as you said, these guys are going to be able to get separation um, at the line of scrimmage or, or these receivers will. So so maybe against Richmond and, and, you know, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe against Richmond, we're looking at some more of sort of that dink and just sort of get up the field, just, you know, 10 yards at a time rather than you know, trying to have Brennan run around in the, in the backfield all day um, with the O-line. So is that something that you'd expect as sort of they, even again, some, some of that weaker competition? Yeah, actually I do. I think, I think, you know, Robert and I's offense, I've only had one year at Robert and I offense. I don't have the experience. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Years, That's but, a lot of, <laughs> okay, well, yes. Yeah. So the last <laughs> game proved it was a lot, but you know, it, we're not going to see, Granted, if they're if they see an open and they're gonna shoot down the field and score or try to score a touchdown, it's gonna maybe we're gonna have a minute drives like we had around the night if it's a possibility. But I think we're gonna have extended long drives. We're gonna have, I think that's the hope at the end of the day for Coach Kitchings and Coach Elliott is to have drives that they can sustain the football so that the defense doesn't get as gas as they yeah. were last year. So that's why I think those short passes, establishing the run game early against these teams. And not going for like the broke, the, the the big game winner every single time. I think that you're going to see that. You're going to see those short passes, especially with the O-line, not possibly giving Brendan enough time to throw. You're going to see those. You're going to see Keaton Thompson probably be featured a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, I, I can I very much agree with that. Just even talking to them, that is their hope is that they want a more balanced offense. And a lot of people look at balanced offense, meaning there's going to be a 50% running, 50% passing. The way I think of it as a balanced offense is we're not just going to throw the ball every single time or just throw the ball for long yards. We're going to have a right. balanced offense where we're going to stay and have long, long drives. Absolutely. And now switching, switching topics to the defense, obviously sort of a um, – Problem last year, as you mentioned, just a, little. Um, just a little bit. And I think that, you know, uh, you know, what's becoming obvious through camp is that sort of as the O-line was incredibly strong and, and deep last season, that is the D-line um, coming in this year. And I know that you've already mentioned guys, uh, you know, Cam Butler being one sort of that's that's already come in um, as a grad transfer and impressed. Um, it, or, or sort of is, is that hype real? Is, is that something that, you know, there's going to be pass rush pressure pressure you think like are, are guys already popping like like butler and, and others yeah you know i actually in the last two practices i've made it a note that i think the d-line is going to be the strength of this team i know i think yeah. a lot of people keep talking about the offense and i i granted the, the offenses there are a lot of great skill players but i think the d-line is what's going to make the difference 
Um, yeah. Again, I only was here for one year of Broncos uh, defense, but it was a year where schematically they adjusted, and I don't think they had the personnel for it. Mm-hmm. I think the personnel is fitted better for this. Um, like I, before I came to UVA again, I heard that Broncos defense created havoc. We didn't see that havoc. I never saw that pressure no. to the quarterback. And I think when you look at UVA this year, they have such good depth. And what I like about the staff, they might not have won a lot of the, um, I guess, the high school battles on a recruiting front because they kind of came late to the game in 23, but they won a lot of good battles in the transfer portal when they first got here. Mm-hmm. And just adding Cam Butler, Paula Kier, uh, Devontae Davis on that defensive side was crucial for them. Cam Butler, he told me he went from 255 pounds to 267, 268 pounds in just the two and a half months that he was at Virginia. Wow. And he feels like he's quicker. And you can tell at practice, you know, him and, you know, Chico Bennett was the number one guy at that, you know, banded or defensive end position, trying to see how they're going to work that out. But and then you have Cam Butler who came in and he looks really good. His body looks great. He's, he's quick for a guy that that's that size. So he gained muscle weight, but he didn't lose that quickness. Mm-hmm. So, and he's kind of said, you know, this is my, I came here for one year. I'm going to make my best of it. So he didn't waste any time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like is the fact that they added so much depth to that interior line as well with, you know, Devonte Davis, who's a big, big man. And he looked and it was just when I look at him, like, yeah, that's Devontae Davis. You can, you can tell who he is. Um, Aaron Samui also looks really good. He lost some weight, but it's good weight that he lost. It's not like because you don't want to lose too much weight if yeah. you want, but he lost some good weight. Um, then you also had Jameer Carter, who's worked really, really well out in front. And then you have um, Paula Kier, who did a little bit of the twos. And what I like is that they, they pile up that front with you know five guys, but then also. They also have like two linebackers. So you got Josh Ahern and Nick Jackson as your two linebackers for the ones. And you've got five DBs, which right. is going to be interesting to see how that factors in. Because it's a lot of young guys, a lot of sophomores, I believe, like second year sophomores yeah. in, that, in that position. So we're going to see a lot of young guys. And honestly, to be frank, uh, if you talk to somebody within the program, some of the young guys they thought might have been, should have been playing last year. So it'll be nice to see how they kind of adapt to those extra playing time. So I think with those guys pressuring the quarterback more, you're going to have less craziness in the secondary. Because if you look at film from last year, I know the secondary got ripped so much and criticized so heavily. But if you look at some of the mistakes they did in the secondary, and you can see that it was actually breakdowns in front. You can see Mm -hmm. that it was missed assignments um, from either linebackers or the the linemen were pressuring and the quarterback too much time. So the breakdown wasn't all on the secondary. There was stuff that was happening ahead of them that just wasn't right or wasn't clicking. So I think with the extra pressure that they have with this talent that they have in the defensive front is going to help the secondary adjust to this new scheme and also having younger guys like Langston Long is one that I keep hearing has done a really good job. So having those guys and um, I'm trying to think of who else is, uh, uh, I think Cypress and Elijah Gaines are other two and Jonas Sanker is the other guy. So yeah. having those younger guys kind of adapt to come in. Right. And, and you talk about depth on that D line. I mean, I, you know, obviously it's being able to go too deep on, on that D line is something that's incredibly valuable in football, especially talking about um, being able to rotate in and out and, and sort of having mm-hmm. that advantage over opposing offensive lines. Do you think that they'll look for sort of a, a more balanced approach with, with sort of not maybe going sort of, evening out sort of two groups or you think maybe look like one a one b on that defensive line to try and rotate guys through more or do you, do you have an idea that maybe maybe it'll be sort of trying to get the, the best four guys out there 
from talking to Coach Rudd and even Coach Cox in the secondary, they they really are into about fresh legs. Yeah. So I, I expect some rotations there. Um, and Coach Rudd, we actually asked him about that because you know we're curious in how he kind of stays the depth chart if he's comfortable with the two deep. And he said this Saturday is going to answer a lot of the questions. This is a mm. scrimmage this Saturday, so they're able to see where things are and live hitting because don't forget they don't have that they don't have the access to live hitting and i think they can't live hit two consecutive practice due to ncaa rules during fall mm, camp right. so they're going to be hitting on saturday so that's when they're going to be more comfortable to see how much they have and who's ready to do that and i think i agree with you is that because they want to have fresh legs you're going to see more of that i think there's going to be the more one a one b because for example we even saw that practice you know there was one group of ones that i, I saw that didn't include aaron Famui, which you know you go like what what it was yeah. you know but then he was included in the next rotation so you can see that they're already playing around with that trying to work to see who which group kind of works together what who where and what moving around um and a guy like ben smiley is a versatile guy that they can use in a couple places on that d line so you can see that he's going to be added benefit um to that as well and just trying to see which guy do you want to hone in you know obviously jameer carter he's going to go inside so which guy can go outside and inside and make sure we rotate it? Because at the end of the day, you want them to stay healthy. We mentioned that the second half of the season is pretty brutal. Yeah. You don't want these guys to be gassed after, you know, the first half. And then when you're really trying to get these wins to possibly compete for the last ACC Coastal Championship um, and have them hurt or tired. Right. Absolutely. And, I, you know, and I think that, bringing in as you mentioned sort of that that transfer recruiting um on that d line has been and will probably prove to be incredibly valuable and i think that's that's really exciting when you're looking at sort of the the defense and and you you mentioned like the the breakdowns in the secondary and obviously the running game last year or the you know stopping the running game was incredibly difficult and having you know sort of that depth there should should be a big um big help um and so you know you mentioned the coastal and that's one thing i want to ask you about is the acc and sort of where you see um uva stacking up i believe they were picked fourth to finish fourth mm-hmm. in the coastal um do you think that's just about right i mean i think you know the general sort of perception is could be better than that could be worse than that depending on a couple of things um what, what are your thoughts yeah so um, i'm actually working on a prediction game by game and i think vegas had uva at seven and a half is their pre their preseason prediction for uva and i kind of think that is about right yeah um like you said it's like you look at the schedule and you're like i can see them you know winning six games but i could see them winning nine games exactly um i think that first half of the season will really determine how successful they are because yeah. it they should be in an ideal world, because this is honestly a very good schedule for a first-year head coach with the, with the skilled players that he has returning. Undoubtedly. You can see them going perfect up until that homecomings game against Louisville. That's, mm. that's what I feel right now. I think I can see them being perfect up until that Louisville game. Louisville game, I'm, when I'm working on my prediction, I, I have them losing that game. That's my early season prediction. That'll be the first loss. I think yeah. Louisville has done a good job through the transport of themselves. So I think that would be their first loss. And then you consider um, they have a couple of road games that I have them winning, like Duke and Georgia Tech. But traditionally, mm-hmm. you know, under Bronco, they didn't do well on the road. So I'm just going with talent for talent, them winning those games, because that, if you see the matchup between Georgia Tech and Duke, you can see them beating those teams. Yeah. Um, it's just the second half of the season for me is I could see them beating 
Miami or UNC. Um, mm. They've been done so well against Miami at home. I know it's been a long time since UVA had Miami and Charlottesville, but um, for anyone who doesn't know, I actually went to University of Miami and I still remember the last eight game in the Orange Bowl where UVA completely walloped the game <laughs> in the last game in the Orange Bowl. And actually, since I became a reporter, um, I've had a lot of people joke since I started my career covering UVA and then even when I covered, you know, uh, other, other teams, I still kept an eye on things. And I've never seen Miami beat UVA and really? Charlottesville across any sports. Okay. So I always look at that game and I still, <laughs> one, I still see Ja'Cory Harris' uh, body in the middle of the Scott Stadium because of that big hit during when Mike London was the coach. Yeah. But I could see them beating Miami. Yeah. And then I still have questions about North Carolina. So I can see them beating North Carolina. Pitt is an interesting one because technically they don't, they have so much questions on the offense, but I still like their defense. So that's a 50 50. Um, and if you look at Virginia Tech, they're rebuilding this year. And I don't think they have enough yet in that arsenal for them to rebuild. So this, that's why I'm saying they could win nine games. So although right now I am being less optimistic and I could see like eight games, seven and a half, eight. So that's why I could see them in the four. I can clearly see a path where this is a very good season for UVA. Everything clicks and everyone's healthy. Um, so, yeah, so I guess that's a long one in saying like, it, it could be great. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, that's why I kind of agree where the preseason is because there's so many questions, but, um, this could be a very good year for Tony Allen. Everything kind of lines up. Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing is that you look at the schedule and, you know, there, there aren't a lot of games that you wouldn't like every game is, is theoretically winnable. Like, obviously like last year you had Notre Dame and you're sort of just chalking that down as a loss, but yeah. And going to BYU, it was never going to be easy. But I, I feel like you just look at the schedule and you say, well, the road games, as you said, are are games that in a vacuum you'd pick UVA. Right, and, right, right. And, and so if 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 UVA can take care of business at Scott, obviously you're you're not going to sweep the table against Miami, UNC, Pitt, and, and Coastal Carolina. But you go two and two there, and you, exactly. you take care of business in the first half of the season. All of a sudden, you're looking at you know eight eight wins potentially going into Virginia Tech or or even more. And obviously, you know, I, I probably am getting ahead of myself and we'll go five and one on the front half, and then like <laughs> one and five on the on the back. But you know, that's just something that it, it looks possible. And yeah, yeah, yeah. When you talk about the growth, you know, you know, on the defense, you know, with with that D line, all of a sudden you start to think, and and, and it just, I don't know. There, there's an opportunity here, and I, I think that. Miami is good and, and Pitt is good, but no one looks, I mean, not that anybody ever looks unbeatable on the coast. It's coastal chaos. But it's know, yeah. right, exactly. It's it's coastal chaos once again. And and you know, maybe just maybe UVA can can take advantage of that. I mean Yeah, like if if everything was reversed, if all the road like if if Miami was away and UC yeah. was away, my my season prediction would be completely different, right? Yeah, now, especially Miami away. But I, I because those are road, those are home games and it's just, it's just, if I was Tony Elliott and I was scripting a college football schedule for my first year as a head coach, this is probably what my schedule would look like. In all yeah. Right. And, and that's, you know, you get sort of that, that first, that early road test at Illinois, that's going to, you know, bring that physicality yet also winnable game, you know? And, and, yeah. I yeah. mean, they, and, and yeah, I don't want to, I like, I hate saying make or break game for the season, but I, and especially that early, but Illinois, if they lose the whole season kind of gets a different perspective. Yeah, no, it, I agree. 
it's 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 tough like I hate doing that this is a make or break game but if you look at the Illinois and when it is you're like if they lose this game it kind of puts everything else into question but right but yeah it's uh it's gonna be an interesting road game considering they haven't had the best uh, road game success yeah do you think that can change under under Elliot was there something about Bronco like I I never really could put a put my finger on it like what exactly that was is there anything that a coach can do better there um I'm not sure like what the what was the big thing with Bronco about road games I know when I'm talking to them they their first priority is making a Scott Stadium you know right. a tough place to play and that's usually what all staffs want yeah um so I just don't know like because especially like they went to Miami and did well yeah. Um, so, and that's, you know, obviously a tough road game. It's a pretty far road game for them. And they went to Louisville and they did well in that situation. So it's, so it's just, I think it was just a lot of other things that yeah. kind of consistency that it weren't just consistent. Yeah. Um, maybe there was something to do with just the procedures around road games, but it will be one. I think maybe it's to do also because you have a lot of things. You have conditioning could be a problem. Uh, nutrition, obviously, there's been an overhaul of nutrition. There's so many things that goes into a road game. You know, when I was at University of Florida, I actually covered the nutrition aspect of all the little pieces that the nutrition staffs have to do, and it's a lot of little things that have to work and how they handle the conditioning of the athletes and all the other stuff that works behind the scenes. There's a yeah. lot of stuff that goes. And actually, when University of Florida lost that nutrition staff and lost a lot of the behind the scenes. You saw how poorly they did on the road a year later. So mm. it's, it's very interesting how much those behind the scenes people really influence what goes on on the field and how much having those resources and investments in that really plays a factor. Because I saw it at the University of Florida as soon as she, she's actually a Georgia now. So Collier Parenter left Florida and went to Georgia and you saw a little bit of the changes and how things happen behind the scenes. And that could affect road games as well. Absolutely. And that was a, I remember, you know, Coach Elliott, that was a big thing for him, especially with the new facilities, was ensuring that the, the nutrition facilities and, and and staff were prioritized. So maybe, you know, maybe that can can get us a, a couple extra road wins this season and and, and put UVA uh, back on track to, to win another another coastal title. Uh, Jackie, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time and, uh, and informing all of us on, on, on the happenings in Charlottesville and, uh, you know, ho- hope. Wish you all the best and your family all the best. And so thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely.